I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. We have explosive new details tonight about the grotesque murder case involving dismembered body parts mailed to political parties in Ottawa and the torso found in Montreal. There's a nationwide manhunt underway tonight. Police say he has multiple aliases. He's a male model and porn star with past links to Carla Homolka. Is known for posting videos in the dark corners of the internet of kittens being tortured and killed. Police have obtained a video they believe could be the murder victim. CTV News has learned that a note was discovered in the box with a severed foot that was mailed to Conservative Party headquarters yesterday. That note said that this was the first of six body parts that were distributed. A severed hand was found last night in a box addressed to the Liberal Party of Canada at the main postal warehouse. Canada Post and the police are now working, trying to find those four other missing body parts. That note also said that the suspect indicated he would kill again. Welcome back to I Could Murder a Podcast. It is a pleasure to be in your eyes and to be in your ears again today. <laughs> I'm joined once again by the boy that doesn't know when to stop, Ben Carter. Terrific. Really, really, really good to be here. Thank you so much for that warm introduction. I said um, boy. Yeah. yeah youthful. Kind yeah, of youthful. That's yeah, nice youthful of me. Appearance. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, feel you're good welcome. about that. Yeah. yeah. How's it going? Yeah, Ben, not too bad, to be honest with you, mate. Just, you know, bits and bobs, <laughs> this and that. How you doing, Dan? Oh, very good. How does it feel to be... Almost halfway. Yeah, we film a couple ahead to the release. So actually, the day we're filming this is the release of the Sandy Hook case. Mm. And I wanted to say a quick thank you to all the lovely response we've had for the case. I think we were a little bit nervous with it going out in terms of, you know, it was such a heavy case and we wanted to l- deliver it in the right way. And obviously, an emotional case and we've had such lovely feedback. So I want to say thank you so much to people that have reached out. Some people said they ha- they've never messaged the podcast before, but they wanted to do, especially for this case, and to say that we did a good job. So very much appreciated thank you very much that really really means a lot guys and one thing i did notice as well is after the release of that episode we had a lot of engagement conversation interesting dialogue on our reddit 
as well as in the Discord. Yes, mate. The Discord is just popping off. So yeah, every week on the Discord, we'll be talking about the cases that we're covering, cases we've covered in the past, answering questions. And uh, yeah, it's a really exciting little community that we're building over there. Yes, and you can become part of that community by um, joining our cult over on icmop.co.uk. Discord is for the prestige members only, and we'll also be hosting live streams over there as well. And there's some talks, little talks of perhaps, this is quite big news, a spin-off podcast over there as well which is going to be it's not going to be about true crime it's going to be a bit more just a bit more jovial a bit more just about life and just us talking absolute shit about other topics so if you enjoy the bollocks we speak that'll be the place to find that where we could be even a, a little bit more light because we won't have to tiptoe around sensitive subjects so yes be sure to keep an eye out for that today's case ben it is a biggie. A biggie indeed. We're back in Canada. First time since the Robert Picton case. So we've not done too many Canadian cases. No. It is, of course, the case of Luca Magnotta. Also referred to as one lunatic, one ice pick. The don't fuck with cats killer. And two men, one ice pick. So for me, like many, I believe they probably came across this case with the don't fuck with cats, a Netflix three-parter. Mm-hmm. Were you a fan of that uh, documentary, Ben? I enjoyed it. Up until researching this case, and I realised that there's quite a bit missed mm. out from the from the series. But in terms of like the the formation of a community of internet sleuths yeah. trying to track him down, um, I thought that was really well put together, and and I was impressed by the amount of work they were able to do, yeah. all being kind of part time and remotely, yeah. yeah. And ultimately, they got although they got given some information, mm-hmm. um, would that have ever been given to them if they weren't doing what they were doing? Exactly, so, yeah. Yeah, really interesting case. And I was aware of the initial kind of one lunatic, one ice pick video. Never actually watched it, but I remember it being around the similar time to the Free Men, One Hammer. Yeah, because I've heard people say the same about it, but I, I never knew anything of it. I know people, some people, it was like their equivalent to that video and watching it. And mm. yeah, I mean... It's not one I'm glad I didn't stumble across. Dan, is this one of the rare cases that you might actually... Have you seen that series, Dan? Uh, yes, and I did really enjoy it. But I'm intrigued to hear about the, you know, there's more to it, obviously, than meets the eye. Yes. What were your takeaways from it, Dan? Just that he's an evil prick. Yep. Yep. One lunatic, one ice, icy prick. Icy prick. <laughs> Spicy prick. <laughs> but yeah, um, Luca Magnotta as a man, very interesting and... Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to us diving into the childhood and seeing the formation of him in terms of how he ended up to be the way he is. It is very curious and it seems to be a big leap to where he got to, essentially, from one thing to that. Definitely. Uh, but we're going to obviously dissect all of that. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I knew him as the person that did the One Lunatic, One Ice Pit video, but I wasn't aware of all of this other stuff that happened in his life, all the other offences he committed in the build-up to that murder. So it's a bizarre case, this one, and there's so much going on, specifically in his early life that just is not even mentioned on the documentary so definitely yeah because yeah. he's a man of many identities important <laughs> I'm not going to make you not going to make you notes no, say no. your notes so yeah it's a very uh, interesting case in terms of how it came about obviously through the various viral videos that he released the internet movement itself as well as the gang of online sleuths that were tracking and speculating the killer's every movement in an almost and this will be referenced later in the timeline catch me if you can I think he ended up posting the trailer to that on his YouTube, one of his many yeah, YouTube accounts. Yeah, definitely as a throw to that, yeah. Yeah. And the killer's taunts as he, he kind of, he's essentially trolling the ever more infuriated public that are pursuing him. And then, of course, the well, there's there's, in, there's intrigue at every part of this case because his capture, his eventual capture is also quite, quite cinematic. I think it's quite the opposite, I think. Do you? Because he does have a lot of movie references within everything he does, purposely as well, which we'll, we'll get into that. But the way he's caught is just very like... It's sloppy. Yeah, 
but I could still see it in a movie. Yeah, be a bit, not yeah. a sloppy movie. Be well, be, yeah, yeah, probably did like some a, of those though, didn't he? Part two. Yeah, so- straight to DVD. Yeah, yeah, a B, a B movie. Yeah, yeah. So Ben, I actually found a new podcast. I think you might enjoy okay so it's a spotify original um it's called partners in crime and it's done by those lovely people laura whitmore and ian sterling you may know them from love island ben beautiful voice beautiful voice yeah very listenable very so like us they talk about true crime talk about infamous cases and very bizarre cases in the history of true crime yeah and that sounds right on my street so for example one week could be about a ghost a ghoulish little ghost next next week it could be the testimony of a convicted murderer so yes they go through weird wonderful cases kind of like we do in our ministers occasionally go through the stranger parts of true crime it's not Mm. all just famous killers it's about people who have multiple personalities or people who you know go through ghosts and ghouls and it's all weird and interesting stories kind of things you would talk about over a lovely dinner party it's a good conversation starters and like us you know we like to inject levity into these dark crimes they also don't go down the fact reading route they like to add levity to it and like a lot of the parts have me in hysterics so i do very much recommend people go listen to it if they like our style i'm sure they would love their style but i found it i thought you guys would like to hear it it's partners in crime it's over on spotify new episode comes out every thursday so i thought why not give you a recommendation ben and i think our listeners if they'll enjoy us i'm sure they'll enjoy that as well so why not go check it out it's a fascinating case, it's a disgusting case, but it's also very extraordinary in terms of the events that take place. Yeah, it's a bit of a Swiss army man of a man, a porn star, a model, a murderer, a lunatic, a troll. I mean, I wouldn't want that Swiss army knife. It's not going to help, no. help you camping, is it? There's no corkscrew there. <laughs> no, well, a couple, well, couple screws loose. <laughs> a warning that we will be in this episode discussing animal... Warning! Abuse. We're woke. A warning that we will be discussing animal abuse in extensive detail in this episode, so I appreciate some people do find that quite harrowing, uh, but we will not be posting any kind of images or videos uh, relating to that in the visual version of this episode. So let's get into it. So Eric Clinton Kirk Newman was born on the 24th of July 1982 in Scarborough. Different one from the uh, yeah the one that you... Do you go there quite a lot? I went there once, actually. I had, That's a, nice. I had a bloody good night in Scarborough, actually. Say that for the new podcast. How old are you? I was 26. She was (laughs) triple that. Joking. Half it. Yeah, a double. 52. Over 50 years old. I'll double check, but none of this is going in. And don't do a, none of this is going in. (laughs) Because no. (laughs) And don't triple it now. He's tripled it. He's tripled it. Like the age. No. But none of this is going in. We will go on to explain Eric's later transition into Luca Rocco Magnotta and will refer to him as Luca from this point onwards throughout the episode. Luca was the final of three children born... Oh, first. Let me finish. <laughs> final of three children but actually Say born again. first. Was finishing the bit. Sorry, go on. Jesus Christ. It wouldn't be final though, would it? It'd be, It'd be the final boss, wouldn't it? And that'd be the strongest one. That's and that'd true. be the first one born. Mm, it's true. Luca was the first of three children born to Anna Yorkin and Donald Newman. He has a younger sister called Melissa and a younger brother called Conrad Shane. Which is a interesting double barrel. It sounds like he should be one of the um, small soldiers characters. <laughs> Conrad Shane. And he's got a machine gun. He also has two half-siblings from a second partner his mother Anna would later have. So that'll be one sibling, full sibling. Donald and Anna were high school sweethearts who met on a blind date in grade nine. Ooh. And although their relationship was initially very loving and supportive, they did not intend to get pregnant at such an early age and subsequently decided to get married once they found out that they were expecting. A little bit, yeah. Mm. They were aged 17 and 16 respectively and living with Donald's parents at the time. Donald claims that Anna getting pregnant at such a young age caused friction between him and Anna's parents. He goes on to say, 
They didn't like me one bit. They thought I was a terrible person for getting their daughter pregnant. The pair quickly realised that they would need a place of their own in order to raise a family together. They both worked tirelessly to save some money and eventually purchased a small house in Bethany, Ontario. Scarborough to Bethany. Not a good band name. Sounds a bit like the Banshees of... Never remember the name. Yeah. Colin Farrell. Madai Moody. Luca's birth name... Bloody hell, Harry. Luca's birth name, Eric Clinton Kirk Newman, was a mishmash of actors Clint Eastwood and Kirk Douglas. The couple's marriage remained solid after the birth of Luca, and eventually Melissa and Conrad joined the growing family, though the couple would eventually face financial strains as well as tensions in their relationship as the years went on. Luca's father, Donald, worked as a labourer at the Lever Brothers Soap Factory in downtown Toronto. Toronto. It should really be the Lava Brothers. Well, I could do it again, and then you could use it. Because I fucked up the last bit. Sure. Okay. Luca's father, Donald, worked as a labourer at the Lever Brothers Soap Factory in downtown Toronto. Which would be the Lever Brothers, probably. <laughs> <clears throat> that just came to me. Fantastic. Here he would work six days a week and would often work extensive and sociable hours, meaning he was often away from the family home whilst the Newman children were growing up. He was said to have been a quiet and reserved man who always smelt great and would often did whatever he could to keep his wife happy. Luca's mother Anna was a homemaker and also homeschooled her children for several years during their childhoods. She has been described by some as a total germaphobe and control freak and would often kick her young children as well as the family pets out onto the freezing cold streets of Ontario whilst she deep cleaned and sanitised the house. She would also wash her children very aggressively, very mm -hmm. frequently. On more than one occasion, she placed the children's pet rabbits onto the porch of the house in sub-zero conditions for hours at a time whilst she cleaned. Many of them would freeze to death as a result. Some have argued that Luca was exposed to animal abuse as early as from the age of four. Donald has also been critical of Anna's homeschooling abilities. He described her teaching of his children as terrible. Part of the reason for homeschooling the children was not anything to do with the behaviour or the choices that the children made. They were homeschooled due to Anna not wanting them to integrate or socialise with other children due to the risk of them bringing home germs. Mm. Interesting. Yes, yeah, so if you have OCD and, and it's germ related, I can't think of many more stressful conditions really because you're thinking mm. about every remember how everyone was thinking with covid some people were taking the shopping and leaving it for like a few days in the bags so mm. that the, the germs would die on on the items and how like, paranoid everyone was getting around that time Obviously, some, some people would argue rightfully so some people would argue against it but that level of heightened awareness and worry mm. constantly not not obviously not saying what she did was right and how she, how she raised the children, obviously not yeah, well, killing the rabbits. But remember the rabbits. It's, it's, it will be very stressful. And growing up in a household with someone, you know, one of your parents being that way would be very, very stressful. Definitely. Anna was terrified of viruses and infections and therefore she socially isolated her children from any other kids in the neighbourhood. I did make a note that I thought, you know, does this have anything to do with Donald's employment choices? Oh. Wonder if that was anything to do with the fact that, you know, or the reasoning behind why Donald worked at a soap factory. Mm. Cleanliness. Keep himself out of bubble? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So obviously we do wonder if this had anything to do with Anna's compulsions. Donald said, She was very clingy. She wanted to have total control over them. They were very mixed up kids. Luca was isolated. He had no schooling and no friends of any kind. It's a bit like a soap drama. Opera. Sounds a bit like a soap opera. 
Anna would also refuse to let her children use public restrooms. The children's homeschooling was not of high quality, and their education suffered as a result. The two boys found it particularly difficult to learn from their mother, and many suggest that this had a big impact on some of the choices that Luca later made in life. All three children also struggled with the social isolation. Fucking cockhooks. All three children also really struggled with the social isolation imposed by their mother, and they yearned to form friendships with other children in the neighbourhood that they would regularly watch playing in the streets from behind their bedroom windows. Got kind of Michael Jackson childhood vibes there. Not allowed out, not you know, keep playing. Well, I don't know if there was any instruments in this house, but yeah, felt felt sorry for them. On top of this, as as, as well as kind of the OCD uh, and the penchant for for cleanliness that we've mentioned about Anna, she would also regularly get drunk on vodka in front of her children and was an extremely heavy drinker, to the point that she would occasionally fall asleep before finishing the school day. She'd be drinking teacher's whiskey. That'd be more appropriate, but um, still not appropriate for a learning environment. I'd say. As well as perhaps being influenced by his mother's abuse of the family pets, Luca was given a glimpse into financial fraud at a very early age. Before Luca had become a teenager, the family experienced a series of financial difficulties that actually resulted in their house being taken away from them due to several unpaid mortgage bills. This was primarily due to credit card debts and credit card fraud that many have speculated were run up by Anna. Definitely take some influence from that later on. We'll get into it. According to her husband, she had a series of spending habits that resulted in crippling debt for the family. The debt? <laughs> Play it once. The debt crippling. Including toys for her children, extensive cleaning products, trips to visit her parents, and family holidays. As a result, the five members of the Newman family had to move back in with Donald's parents. The relationship between Anna and Donald became extremely strained shortly afterwards. Lucas' father, Donald, also acquired a criminal record during these turbulent years. He was convicted of unemployment fraud and as well as writing fraudulent checks. Again, these may have been behaviours that rubbed off or influenced a young Luca. On a more positive note, as a result of having to move in with their grandparents, Luca, Conrad and Melissa were enrolled into mainstream schools for the first time. Luca entered sixth grade at Charlottetown Junior School in the suburb of Scarborough, Toronto, and the Newman children were thrilled to finally engage with other children and start to form friendships of their own. Luca, however, found this particularly challenging. So there's already quite a lot at play in his early life. Mm-hmm. He's got two very interesting parents in terms of their decisions that they've made, habits that they have, and um, it's only going to get more kind of convoluted as we go on. Firstly, when other children asked Luca which school he had transferred from and what he had been doing for the first 11 years of his life, which is quite a poignant question mm. for, a, for a child, Luca was embarrassed to speak of his homeschooling and the challenges his parents had faced. He also, obviously, he'd been raised with his siblings his whole life that's all he knows so he had very little kind of social skills very little experience socially so he decided to tell a series of lies that left his classmates bewildered each day a different version of events would be told a common lie that he told is that his parents were in the russian mafia and that he had just arrived in america he also stated that his father was a famous actor but his younger siblings called him out on this he was bullied relentlessly for this but it didn't end there so you can kind of understand to an extent why he would lie about the experiences he'd faced so far or why he would bend the truth slightly mm. but they're quite elaborate little very very the different Matthew one yeah is, that's a that's a big stretch yeah well this this other one that he told is is particularly bizarre one of the more outlandish lies that luca told was that his mother had named him eric due to the fact that actress julia roberts also had a brother named eric but this could quickly be ruled out because neither julia roberts or her brother eric's acting careers had even been established 
at the time that Luca was born. When the question was posed to Luca by his teacher in front of the whole class, he snapped into a fit of rage and threw a chair at her. The reason he was named Eric was because Julia Roberts had a brother named Eric. Yeah, but at this point, like he's sort of 9, 10, 11. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one. It's an odd one. I think the teacher quickly realised, saying, well, no, they're famous now, but 11 years ago, no one had ever heard of them. I don't think oh, they I've never heard of Eric Roberts until now. No. Well, no. Yeah, anyway, threw a chair at the teacher. Yeah. Crazy. Don't want to do that. No, no. No, you're right. Other children at the school would tease Luca for what they perceived to be feminine tendencies. He struggled to fit in with other boys at his school and found it extremely difficult to make friends with others. He was bullied fairly regularly, with other children calling him a homo and a gay lord. Luca would not tell his siblings or his family about this bullying, as he viewed it as a weakness. He also became highly confused about his sexuality following on from this. Wasn't it his, his dad, Donald, also used to be called, used to get a bit drunk and get a bit handsy, and they used to call him Randy Newman. Um, but um, sadly, Luca didn't feel like he had a friend in him. That's good. To be able to confide. Luca faced other cruelty at school as he moved into his teenage years. He became covered with acne and was teased relentlessly as a result. He became the quiet, spotty, blue-eyed boy. Which sounds like a painting. Even his younger brother and sister would tease him about this. He would retreat to his bedroom after school and keep the outside world shut out. He became obsessed with movie stars and the idea of celebrity, with Marilyn Monroe and Sharon Stone being his favourites. He would later claim that he felt Marilyn Monroe's soul was inside of him. Later on, there's a famous film Sharon Stone's in that he gets very obsessed by. Mm -hmm. He set the soul of Marilyn Monroe into in Luca Magnotta. Don't see it personally. No. Not long after this, in 1994, Luca's parents filed for divorce after their 15-year marriage had broken down. This was mainly Donald's decision, as he claimed, I didn't love her anymore. I didn't like the way she treated the children. She made me miserable. The pair began to resent one another, with Donald seeing other women, and Anna moving into a new relationship immediately after the divorce. Anna moved in with a man named Leo, and also moved the three children with her. Leo was said to have been the polar opposite of Donald, and it is alleged that he was physically abusive to both Anna and her children, with Luca being a focal point of his physical abuse. Despite this, Anna went on to have an additional two children with Leo, bringing the total to five children in the household. During the same time, Luca's father Donald was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Not much has been shared relating to this diagnosis, nor have any of his children commented on this. Schizophrenia does tend to run in families, however, no single gene is thought to be responsible. And it is also more common for the offspring of mothers with schizophrenia to have a higher risk of also having it rather than fathers. Donald would later comment that he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia as well as manic depression at around the same time. He claimed to have been hearing the voices of two or three older males telling him to hurt himself and others. Donald took Luca to see the same psychiatrist who had diagnosed him due to his belief that his son was also hearing voices. But no diagnosis was made of Luca and Donald said, I heard voices, I felt like committing suicide, I felt angry. Due to allegations that Leo was physically abusive and cruel to Luca as well as regularly referred to him as a f a teenage Luca decided to move in with his maternal grandmother, Phyllis Yorkin, in Lindsay, Ontario. This again seemed not to come without consequence. Soon after Luca moved in with his mother's parents, Phyllis and her husband basically went through a divorce, and Luca's grandfather was said to have also been physically and emotionally neglectful of a young Luca. He seemingly could never find a place to belong. Luca also claimed that his grandmother, Phyllis, practically raised him by herself, but this again was not without its issues. So as well with this, you've got to think about Luca growing up in these households, seeing families fall apart, that would also kind of affect how he would see relationships himself and like feeling like he'd never fit in at school he wasn't able to make friends the people that in theory should have been there in his life and together as a as a you know as a whole were, were splitting up and breaking up so it was a very 
turbulent time for Hindley growing up in. And he was the older of the three children, so mm. he, he's supposed to be kind of the leader. He really struggled to fit in at school, but yeah. his two younger siblings, no, no yeah. issues and whatsoever. And they were calling them out at school as well. They were, yeah, bad. So yeah, as, as we mentioned, anywhere Lucas seemed to go, there seemed to be issues that, that occurred. His grandmother, obviously she's gone through a, a fairly bitter divorce. She had a very strange relationship with Luca, and there's been lots of allegations that were going to about Luca and his mother, Luca and his grandmother, but Luca's grandmother would often dress Luca in her own clothes and would also sleep in the same bed as him when he was a teenager. She would also physically beat him if he disobeyed her or was late home from school. She also encouraged him to play with Barbie dolls and in the same breath at dinner told Luca, you hold a glass like a f- he was also regularly called the same slur by his younger brother, Conrad. So his grandmother, Phyllis, was yeah, very a very interesting dynamic to the family. She was described by one of Luca's aunts as the typical matriarch of the family. She is very domineering, controlling, and if you have a submissive personality, she will beat you up and do what she wants. And Luca would often receive the brunt of this. The very same aunt would later say of Luca, he was a nut job, he was a time bomb waiting to explode. So very opinionated aunt. On top of this, Luca faced accusations from his own father that he had been having a sexual relationship with his mother once the divorce was finalised. And though nothing has ever been proven, and this could be the rantings of someone facing their own mental health challenges, many have speculated that these accusations could have held truth, with Donald receiving an anonymised letter from a neighbour known only as Diana. Dirty Diana. Dirty Diana, yeah. And she, she would hate her as well because of... Filthy. The germs, yeah. Yeah claiming to have observed the incestuous relationship. Both Luca and Anna have adamantly denied these accusations, and some believers point to a bizarre photo of the pair, with Luca holding his mother by the face. See, in the documentary, it's kind of... Yeah, but that's not... I don't know how someone's looking at that going, they definitely fucked. No. No. <laughs> no, but I think in the... Um, it wouldn't be unusual without the context of this case, but because he's holding her like that, mm. and because he's Luca Magnotta, it's a kind of an icky photo, isn't it? Mm. After moving to live with his grandmother, Luca enrolled in I.E. Weldon Secondary School in Lindsay, Ontario. Though he was bullied far less at this school, some classmates did occasionally pick on him due to Luca constantly changing between jet black and peroxide blonde hair. Which, is that a thing to bully someone? Do the half I don't half. think, yeah. I used to have bleach blonde hair with a black, black streak in it. A little black bit, yeah. A little black bit. Very much ripping off um, James from Busted, which is... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. That's lame. Again, he found it incredibly difficult to create and maintain friendships with anybody. He continued to feel completely isolated and his home life continued to provide conflict for him. He was also described as, as a student from the other students as very forgettable. But yeah. Yeah, which is... Didn't stand out. Very forgettable. But he's changing his hair quite... Fr- I mean, I don't know if it was every one day black, one day blonde. I doubt but it would be because no, that'd be terrible be for the hair, babe. Really bad. Yeah, really bad. Horrible. Yeah. But he was still doing it quite frequently. Yeah. But still being referred to as forgettable. Yeah. So no matter what he did, people wouldn't remember. That's, that's what I said. Yeah. Sad, isn't it? By age 17, Luca claims that he also began to hear voices in his head. He used to frequent local walking clinics in order to receive treatment and advice for this, but would often retreat to his grandmother's house after feeling an overwhelming sense of confusion and helplessness. He would later tell a court psychiatrist, 
All I wanted was one person to care about me and love me. Luca was eventually diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, like his father, and would also begin to take various antidepressants towards the later end of his teenage years, with none of them being taken on a consistent basis. The same aunt that we mentioned earlier had this to say about a teenage Luca. He is mentally ill. He has delusions of grandeur. He concocts stories and they, in turn, become fact in his mind. As he moves into adulthood, it's a quite a grisly existence that he has faced so far. A highly unstable home life and family dynamic, with seemingly no place that he belonged. Two parents with a history of financial fraud, a controlling animal abusing mother with extreme OCD, a mentally unstable father who has accused his own son of sleeping with his mother, a homophobic and abusive stepfather, as well as a grandmother who is physically, emotionally and mentally abusive. He's also been bullied relentlessly at school and but also by his younger brother. All of this undoubtedly shaped Luca into what he would later become, but had a clear significant influence on his personality and psychological profile. Following on from the diagnosis, Luca began to receive a disability allowance and he started to get $1,000 per month. And not wanting to do any kind of work that he viewed as physical labour, he began to top this income up with sex work. That's physical, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it depends. It depends. You just lay on your back. Yeah, that's what I thought initially, yeah. <laughs> Garkle. With both male and female customers. Not a lot is widely known about his first sexual encounters, and it would not be an understatement to say that he was jumping in at the deep end by opting to become an escort. Luca would make anywhere from $30 to $500 for his services, depending on the client. I did say it was a bit of a sketchy one, this one. I found that quite interesting. What? How much did Luca paid for, got paid for sex? Just. I found that interesting? That's fine. The industry it? itself is oh. quite interesting. Male escorts? Well, just sex work in general. Okay. Ben Carter's interesting facts. Interesting facts. Are they? I don't know. Interesting facts. Facts. Interesting week. Hope everyone's having a great week so far. I want to know how this your balance is doing after this week. Go on, boy. Uh, ins or outs? I don't know. How, depends what you want them to we'll do. Talk about both right now. It's a bit of a bit of a raunchy one this week. I did warn the boys earlier in the week, but please bear with me. So, sex work—a fascinating occupation. Some, unfortunately do it through necessity or because they are forced to. Some do it because they are passionate about it and some do it because it's their dream job. It feels like a bit of a taboo subject to discuss, certainly on a true crime podcast, especially on the throwaway tangent probably of the, a true probably crime. Probably the place to discuss it. Well, yeah, thank you very much. But in the within the interesting facts realm, it's kind of it's kind of throwaway, isn't it, my segment? This is the one you said knocked out of the park, didn't you? No, never said that about any of them. Um, <laughs> but I did find the following information, and I'm sure... Anybody looking at my recent internet search history would find the following very, very interesting indeed. So firstly, I thought, and this is usually with the interesting facts, I always go, what's the biggest, what's the most, you know, popular? Who's the most famous? It's very stat heavy, go, isn't very it? Stat, it's very stat heavy, yeah. Firstly, I thought, and this was probably obvious, which sex worker in the world is on the highest salary pro rata? I thought, really, that'd be interesting. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Are you talking about there's different elements of sex work, isn't there? So what? You, yeah, well, I, I will get to that. Yeah, if I don't, if, if you're going to mention OnlyFans, you're going to mention that OnlyFans. Don't mention it yet. Okay. Well, you, so yeah, you led me to it. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Top of the list, wherever I looked, a lady called Alice Little from Ireland. And the more I read about this lady, the more I wanted to talk about her. So Alice Little, before the COVID pandemic had a significant impact on uh, on the sex work industry itself, Alice was the highest earning legal sex worker in the world. How much do you think she earned a year? Hmm. How much did she earn a year? 1.2 million. That's not a bad guess, actually. That was actually her best year ever, 1.2 million. How do you know? I just guess. Good, bloody good guess. Thank you. Bloody good guess. So she was typically earning a whopping $1 million a year. Her surname Little, as you might expect was also a play on her height. 
Uh, fucking hell. No. She is four foot eight, and actually, she goes by the shortest legal escort in the United States. She also has a YouTube channel, and she also writes freelance articles for various news outlets and websites, as she is an advocate for sex workers' rights. She's also, on the height statistic, a former jockey. Yeah. So she's riding in both her careers. Which makes sense, because of the height. And on her website... She is referred to as a luxury companion, and in 2019 she was named Companion of the Year for the third year running. The same year she brought in $1.2 million, very good guess from you, which was more than double that of the runner-up, second highest earning luxury companion. Not only this, but Little is also regarded as an intimacy expert and sex educator, regularly putting on workshops for fellow escorts on business management and best practice. How have you made a sexy discussion be so fucking dull? Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. She does. She also does PR and she talks about how to file your taxes. I mean, business management, she probably does do both yeah. of those things. It's fascinating stuff. Is it? She has also regularly fought for sex workers' rights and is actively working on reducing the stigma associated with sex work. Although Alice's earnings are considerable, they are a mere drop in the ocean following the launch and introduction, which are the, both the same things, of OnlyFans, with the site's current top earner, Black China, earning a staggering... What are your guesses here? For last year's earnings, top earner on OnlyFans. 23 million or something. Fucking hell. 20 million, yeah. How does he... Fair enough. You kind of blow me away there. The average uh, sex worker salary in the United Kingdom is £31,000. If that role isn't for you, you can also be a phone sex operator. And the average in the UK is £27,923. Work from home. Yeah, kind of works out around £16 an hour, which doesn't sound like that much. That's a lot to be talking to someone when they're wanking on the phone. Yeah. 16 an hour. I could do that. Could you? For £16 an hour, yeah. But that's, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a long hour, isn't it? Mm. So, yeah. I mean, you, you knew all the figures. So, it's not as kind of blown away. Yeah. I, felt, I thought that was going to go somewhere. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, Luca Magnotta not earning anywhere near Alice Little. No. Back to the episode. But Dan? Yeah, fine. How are you? The year of 2001 was another incredibly turbulent one for Luca. He would attend medical walk-in centres throughout the year to try and overcome the mental health challenges he was facing. He would feel constant waves of anxiety and helplessness and feel as though he was living a life without passion or purpose. Multiple notes on his medical records dated throughout 2001 suggested that he had a personality disorder, schizophrenia, paranoia, bipolar disorder and clinical depression. He was also regularly attended due to sore throats and migraines. Luca also begins living at Harrison House in Lindsay, Ontario, a project which is supporting young people with varying mental health conditions. It is here that Luca would meet a 21-year-old lady that would spark a change inside him. This young lady, who cannot be named, had limited mental capacity and was also receiving disability allowance. Luca would form a friendship with this person and begin to commit financial fraud using her credit card, as well as her identity. He impersonated her. He would also regularly convince her to buy things for him and pay his bills for him. There have also been allegations that Luca sexually abused this young lady. He later would be charged with three counts of fraud and face a $16,000 fine for his actions. He would also go on to receive a nine-month conditional sentence as well as an additional 12 months probation. It was reported that she had the mental age of uh, between an eight and nine-year-old, so that just makes, shows it much how dark that is, and obviously with him um, allegedly sexually abusing her as well. It was very easy for him to convince her to, to get new credit cards out and you know get her to sign off on things and you know just convince her that all this was legit. But Such an escalation as well from... His perspective, he'd been bullied all of his life by different family members, by people at school, and now he's learned 
the ways to kind of yeah. be able to manipulate others. And he's acted in, yeah, this is what he did to this lady is absolutely horrific. And yeah, it's, it's kind of following patterns of his parents' behaviours as well. With the sentence as well, there was going to originally be a sexual abuse charge put to him, but that was dropped before the case went to court. And some people believe that if that you know was put against him, he would have been put away for a longer time, put in a register, been kept eyes on him, which, you know, could definitely would have affected probably what was to come later on so some believe people believe this is a time where you know this could have prevented what would later later to go on to happen the following year eric who we have been referring to as luca throughout the episode moved to toronto where he began officially referring to himself as luca rocco or jimmy depending who he met and whilst living in toronto at the age of 21 he begins to appear in a series of gay porn movies again going by the aliases of jimmy rocco or luca magnotta Although Luca would claim to many that he was an adult movie star and renowned porn star, he only went on to make 12 appearances over a five-year period, and none of his work seemed to generate much popularity. He was said to have been anything but prolific or high-profile, and not even the porn industry was very much interested in him, which is a quote, which definitely would have agitated him at the time. He also starts to appear as a male model in various magazines, including Fab magazine, and Luca begins to get various plastic surgery, including pinning back his ears, shaving his eyebrow bones, a nose adjustment, a full hair transplant, a chin adjustment, and several rounds of Botox. His appearance seems to change quite significantly in every photo that is taken of him. And yeah, it's we're trying to find lookalikes, which we'll get onto. I feel like it, every photo you look, he looks like a different person. It changes significantly with every photo taken. Though. It does, yeah. His confidence and personality also change drastically as a result. At the same time, he meets transgender stripper Nina Arsenault, and he claims that the pair began dating for a short period of time. Nina would become a key character witness later in the case, but Nina is adamant to this day that the relationship lasted no longer than three weeks in total. In recent interviews, Nina describes Luca as a manipulative, pathological liar claiming that he had a volatile, unstable mood and would also punch himself in the face in the shower. She also goes on to quote him as once saying, I'm afraid that when you look into my eyes, that you will see nothing inside of me. Not sure what to make of that. Very empty. Over the next few years, Luca works as an escort and an adult film actor whilst also still receiving his disability allowance. He would rekindle his relationship with his father for a short period of time in 2003, during which time there is a photo taken of the pair. So of, of kind of their rekindled relationship, they hadn't seen each other for many, many years. His father's obviously dealing with his own issues and uh, got into a new relationship. Luca's issues are becoming increasingly abundant. He meets his son and immediately recommends that he refers him to his uh, psychiatrist. So Luca's father became very concerned about his son's mental state and the probability that he too was hearing voices. And although Luca, throughout the work that he was doing, stated that multiple times he was bisexual, he would claim that during his work as a male escort and porn star, he was strictly gay for pay. What does that mean, Ben? I think it means that you're straight or, generally speaking, not, not sexually attracted to other people of the same sex, but you will do it for money. In the Louis Theroux documentary about porn, yeah. gay for pay was just straight guys who would... Yeah. Meant the money. yeah, that's kind of what I said, didn't I? But then you just did another bit afterwards, which didn't... Did I do a bit afterwards? Mm. Sorry. That's right. Didn't I did a bit afterwards? Just convoluted. Sorry. That's all right, mate. Just trying to help you out. Don't no, make no, it look like a... Well, I don't. 
I know what you mean. Yeah, good. good. Yeah. Come on then. I will try. Please. To get through this. Yeah. Luca's father, Donald, would refer Luca to see his own psychiatrist once again, who deemed Luca to be suicidal and clinically depressed. But this could be managed by antidepressants as well as Valium and antipsychotics. Neither Luca nor Donald took this any further, with Luca telling his psychiatrist, I'm going to be a celebrity, a superstar. One thing with Luke, which we haven't touched on really yet, being Canadian, he doesn't sound Canadian. He's got a really interesting voice. Him mentioning that school coming from the Russian mafia. He does have kind of an Eastern European attempting to do an American accent type yeah. of voice. Or it's like, I mean, the you know, we get students who study at an English speaking school, but it's American. Yeah. So it's a, yeah. that kind of feel to it. In March of 2005, Lucas sees his doctor, Dr. Alan Tan, telling Dr. Tan, who is supervising medical students at the time, that people are trying to ruin his career by taking pictures of him in the street and posting them online. He also complains of hearing voices and paranoia, believing that multiple people are following him. Dr. Tan records his medical notes that Lucas' speech is odd, fast and delusional, but he was no longer suicidal and certainly not a threat to the general public. Dr. Tan, I presume. In May of 2005, Luca begins living with his father and stepmother in Scarborough, Ontario. He again sees Dr. Tan complaining this time that people are watching him with binoculars. Is he just seeing someone in the street with binoculars and thinking... Even that's quite odd to see, out. isn't it? It is, yeah. It is kind could have been a guy with two um, telescopes. Could have been, yeah. Little ones or two big ones. I wasn't there. Dr. Tan's assessment this time is that Luca has schizophrenia. However, in his later testimony at the trial, that we'll, we'll talk about in more detail in the timeline, basically Dr. Tan would go on to say that he mainly treated uh, Luca for his physical ailments and not his mental health, except from when Luca presented in a crisis. This included the many frotakes and migraines that we discussed earlier. And at a similar time, Luca enters a relationship with Barbie Swallows, a transgender adult film star and stripper. But this relationship again is short-lived. In August of 2006, Eric legally changed his name to Luca Rocco Magnotta and became fairly obsessed with his public image, brand and persona. So I think all of this work that he had done, this new life that he'd created, well, he started a new life from scratch pretty much. But it's also with that come kind of a wave of confidence uh, that he's never had before in his life. He began to spread rumours about himself in order to generate intrigue or engagement from the local press and media outlets. A focal point of this being that he began to spread the rumour that he and Carla Homolka, a serial killer dubbed the most hated woman in Canada, were openly dating, only to then use the rumour that he had created as a vehicle to generate public interest and go out and claim that these rumours were false, as well as highly damaging to his current model career. He even walks into various news stations to claim his innocence. And uh, yeah, it's a really bizarre moment, but we'll play, we'll play a clip of this for you now. My modeling career is uh, kind of... Uh going downhill basically um, these days to be honest with you and um, and it's all because of this whole rumor of you dating Carl Hamaka that's this is the thing that's the rumors destroyed my life basically and um, I've been receiving death threats my address is posted that's why I had to move uh, I want my Pomeranian back. It was taken out of my SUV. I, I'm about to have a nervous breakdown here. My reputation is completely ruined. Um, I just uh, want everybody to set, I want to set the record straight that um, me and her have absolutely no connection. I go in to see casting directors. I go in to see agents, you know. They know who I am, you know. It's all over everywhere. I started being a stripper and um, 
And then basically, uh, I went from there to doing adult films. And I'm not ashamed of doing the adult films. I have a problem though with people saying those to relatives. And now nobody wants to talk to me. I don't have anybody basically. Whoever's doing this, uh, you know, please stop. You know, you're doing a lot of harm. He's very much kind of being a hype man for himself. Mm. In March of 2007, a now 24-year-old Luca decides to file for bankruptcy, claiming a list of debts at around $17,000. For his case, he cites illness, lack of employment, and insufficient income to pay off the debts as reasons for his bankruptcy. With an additional $200 listed as a monthly expenditure on medication for an unspecified medical condition, which many uh, believe and have speculated that this was either as a result of his plastic surgery or outright to, to buy to buy drugs. Luca makes a slight breakthrough in his quest for fame when he appears on the television shows Naked News and Cover Guy. He refers to himself as Jimmy on Naked News and talks about his life as a high-paid male escort. And then he goes on to refer to himself as Luca on Cover Guy. The Cover Guy appearance is quite an infamous one and the prize for winning the show was, amazingly, free plastic surgery. Luca was ultimately unsuccessful with his appearance on the show and we will play a clip of this for you now. So how do you do your voice so deep? How do I do my voice so deep? Yeah. Practice makes perfect, right? You got kind of a Ryan Philippe vibe going on. Right? A lot of people tell me that, like they remind me of like 54, that uh, movie, you know? Yeah, he's so. obviously one of my favorites too. Oh, really? I think, yeah, I think you look good. I think that, that your body is a little bit slim. I used to be really overweight, to be on, honest. Uh, I used to be really overweight. I lost like weight. Really? How did you do that? Oh, I just like got up every morning at like four o'clock and like ran constantly and people would tell me oh stop running stop running and I just kept doing it basically What's your idea of overweight? <laughs> oh god, I was I, I was I was a lot of overweight actually oh, really? so like you know uh, No, actually I just got to highlight it change oh. things up a bit. Yeah Uh, yeah, that's what happened to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. That happens sometimes, right? And it's also worth noting that during his audition, his ex-partner Nina Arsenal was actually a judge on the show. Throughout the year of 2007, Lucas sets up multiple accounts on YouTube in order to wage a bizarre war against the TV show Family Guy, as he tries relentlessly to get the show banned for his presentation of gay and transgender individuals, earning him a lot of attention and also a lot of haters on YouTube. Under the same account, he would also post several disturbing blogs about incestuous relationships, which has also further fueled the rumour that he had inappropriate relationships with his own mother and grandmother. That is a weird thing to randomly... I get the Family Guy bit. Yeah. I mean... Make two different accounts. Well, he goes on to make many many accounts, doesn't he? Yeah, but on the... On the family guy and incestuous front. In January of 2008, a Wikipedia page about Luca Rocco Magnotta that was created the previous year in July by Luca is deleted after a series of lengthy discussions by wiki contributors and admins. And basically what they concluded, and this would have rattled him no end, is that Luca Rocco Magnotta is and was a non-notable model slash porn actor. So therefore it wasn't worth... Non-notable, yeah. Yeah, you are non-notable, sir. Yeah, his page got removed. And and for someone that obviously goes on to spend a lot of time on the internet and creating various accounts... He was on the web more than a spider, Ben. He was indeed, yeah. (laughs) Maybe a desert spider. 
Maybe, yeah. The following month, Luca auditioned for another Canadian reality television show, this time titled Plastic Makes Perfect, hoping to win the grand prize of more plastic surgery. Mm, it's a lot of plastic, Ben. There is a lot, yeah. Yeah. Hope the recycling. Hope it makes perfect. Again, his audition was unsuccessful. He did make it to the final four, I believe, so he did get a little bit further in this one. Psychologists would go on to use his 20-minute audition tape. Uh, they would go on to extensively analyse this and have cited the audition as a very revealing insight into Luca's masochist tendencies and possible body dysmorphic disorder. And we'll play again a, a short clip of this for you now. How, how important are your looks to you? Oh, my God. If, if that's number one. Okay, number one is looks. Number two would have to be intelligence. And I don't know what the rest are. <laughs> all I do, all I care about is number one, basically. All I do is care about how I look um, by getting clothes, basically. Because you know what? When you're going out to parties, when you're going to events, when you're going traveling everywhere, you know, you have to constantly wear something new all the time. You know, you can't. You know, it's very, it's very, it's a very strange industry, but a lot of people can understand unless you're in it. You know, so. Do you think? Um, I enjoy it though. <laughs> yeah. Have you always been obsessed with your looks? Like, I mean. I have. Like, seriously, people say to me all the time, even when I was a teenager, they're like, "Oh, you're completely vain. All you do is like stare in the mirror. When you walk by a mirror, all you do is like glance and look at it. You know." you're in a restaurant you just like take like a your, like your spoon just like do a little like look in it and you know try to like check and see if you're okay and a lot of my friends and family have been saying you know what you're obsessed with it you're just so obsessed with how you, how you look and so obsessed with your cosmetic surgeries that we don't understand this you know we don't just don't understand you're becoming somebody completely different and then going into an an industry where it's all about your looks he also said on that he also was planning to get um, those muscle implants, wasn't he? Yeah. Like the abs and the... Which always look... So I can get ripped. Anyone can do it. Takes his shirt off, doesn't he? What, the Louis Theroux one? No, sorry, Lucas one. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He wanted to get it done, but he hadn't had it done. But that was yeah. his plan later on. Oh, but that guy in the Louis one as well. Mm. Yeah. That's the voice. You sound like you do an impression of him. Of him? Okay, yeah, it was. Yeah, it weren't. With Mountain fears that his moment in the spotlight was dying, Luca creates 50 separate Facebook profiles, claiming to be based across 14 different countries. If you're doing 50, why not do 50 countries? Challenge yourself, Luca. These profiles would be used to contribute to supposed engagement on his Luca Bagnotta profile slash fan club. As we said, he's not been a notable, well, from what other people have said, he's not been a notable um, male actor or porn star. A non-notable. And all he is is a failed reality star. He never got into it. So yeah. how has he got a fan club? Yeah. Apart from the fan clubs for everything these days, aren't there, really? There was one for, for Luca Magnotta. Uh, actually, there probably are now, which is the scary thought. You can't use that as an example for the thing that you... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. About. There's probably a fan club for... But this is a person that, that wasn't known at all. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, he, he made a couple of appearances in some knockoff reality shows. So he didn't get in there, did he? Uh, he got in the, the Plastic Mates Perfect. He got into the last one. Oh, he auditioned for it. He auditioned for... But he didn't get into it because he auditioned. Cover guy. Addition to that one as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you make a very valid point, actually. I don't know why he's sticking up for him so much. I'm not sticking up for him at all. I know you're a dog guy, but still. He photoshopped his face onto hundreds of different photos they obtained from other people's Facebook pages around the world, giving the impression that he lived luxurious, jet set in life. We bought, we all those, those kind of people that just seem to. Hey, do you have a job? Because <laughs> you always seem to be traveling, mate. And then like, comment, and share on these photos and fan pages from the other 49 accounts, in some cases, even making them engage in conversation with one another. So we see a similar pattern to Randy Stair's usage of Twitter and Instagram here. And obviously, yeah, we've done an episode on Randy Stair before. He used to get his 
cartoon characters' Twitter accounts that he created for them to talk to each other and have a bit of a bit of a conversation. Fifty accounts he's created, all claiming to be fans of Luca. Neve and um, whatever the other one was called would have a field day at that. Catfish. Yeah. Neve and Max. Max. Max yeah. and Neve. Preferred Max. There I said it. So yeah, 50, 50 separate Facebook accounts, different names, different countries, different outfits. Seems Loads like, of garms. <laughs> seems like you're trying to do a photo here. Though. I am doing a little photo, if you'll let me. We want to say a big thank you to Gully Garms for obviously dressing us for the series. Tom's gone for a uh, super reader. Yes. Uh, I mean, it- I put my hands up here because we, we picked our outfits this, this year. I didn't look at look at the other pictures of this T-shirt. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, John. Just says John on the back. Yeah. <laughs> and Super Reader, I mean, Bonsie will know. I've not been in Super Reading this episode. Sorry, Bonsie. And with me, I've gone for two wolves and two, and guys, two, on two guys on a motorbike. And the good thing is about it not seeing the back of mine is it doesn't matter if I did because it's identical on the back. Yeah. There you go. So you can use our codes KILLBEN or KILLTOM for 30% off at the checkout. Gullygarms.com. Guys and gals. But yeah, there's a lot of lot of Facebook accounts. There sure is, Ben. Yeah. Just one month before going on to commit murder, Luke would tell his local psychiatrist, Dr. Joel Paris, that he had been repeatedly sexually assaulted by his male cousin when he was 14 years old, that he would rip his own hair out as a coping mechanism, that he had fears of abandonment and rejection, that he had anxiety about being cheated on and chronic feelings of depression and emptiness. The doctor referred Luca to CLSC to undergo therapy, as well as suggested various antidepressants in order to prevent further compulsive hair pulling. Luca would never follow this referral through. And now it's time to go into the timeline of Luca Magnotta. Autumn of 2010. A video named Three Guys, One Hammer circulates on the internet. The video shows a man being beaten to his death. It's important to note that Luca was not a participant in this video. However, he did use his Facebook account to repost the video. Now, we have done a, a, an episode on that particular case. It is an extremely graphic case itself, and it wasn't an isolated incident either. It's one of our most viewed videos on um, on our YouTube, I believe, and I do think that's because people still have that morbid curiosity about it and might even believe that it's actually showing the video, which obviously we didn't show the video. But yeah, it was a horrific case for people who don't know about it, and it was one of those videos that circulated on gore sites. Yeah. I remember seeing a little bit as, as a kid, and it felt like my soul was leaving my body. A hundred percent. And, and th- uh, when this was about, I remember... I remember there being mentions of one lunatic, one ice pick, but I never ended up obviously watching the video. And we're going to go on to talk a bit more about that particular. Remember video. one man, one jam jar. One man, one jam jar. What Pain Olympics. Jar? Do you remember Pain oh, Olympics? Yeah. The... Oh yeah. You won the gold, didn't you? Sorry. You won the gold. Yeah. Yeah. And you pulled it first place. Sorry. <laughs> Pain yeah. Olympics was bad. Oh. The, gla- the, the pint glass. Was it a pint glass or like a mason jar? I think, not I mean, a mason jar. Well, I mean, just that... a jam jar, wasn't it? What would you? And okay. there's the rumour, because he, he did it, this guy, guy squatted over a jam jar, went inside him and it broke, and then he didn't scream, but you could hear the sounds, and everyone was like, the reason he's not screaming is because his wife and kids are downstairs. <laughs> it was like, how do they know that? But yeah, disgusting. Yeah. And that was just on Ben's phone. Yeah, Nokia. And but, Nokia until you try it. Ben yeah, said, of course. Oh, don't try it. Unless, no. So yeah, so Luca has obviously seen this video, he's become fascinated by it, and he's reposted it onto one of his 50 Facebook accounts. Got 49 likes. That's good. Yeah. December 21st, 2010, Luca posts the first of what would become a series of cat-killing videos. Luca uploads a video named One Guy, Two Kittens to the internet. Kind of a play on, obviously, the, the three guys, one hammer video he'd seen. Or the two girls, one cup, isn't it? Or two girls, one cup, yeah. Which I thought, I thought that was... What inspired the other names, I've believed. That's where it all started, didn't it? 
In the video, viewers see a man place two kittens into plastic vacuum seal bags. The bag is then attached to a vacuum and consequently the kittens suffocate to death. So at the start of the video, before you really kind of take in the, the surroundings, you hear John Lennon's war is over. You then see two kittens on top of a wolf blanket, which is on top of a bed. It's quite innocent at first. The individual who you cannot see the face of just begins to sort of slowly pet these kittens that are quite looking quite innocuous on the bed there. At one point, one of the kittens actually sort of he places them very gently places them into this uh, vacuum seal bag one of the kittens actually gets out and he just immediately picks it up and puts it back in before sealing them all happens very very quickly the video is uploaded to youtube but within a day it is taken down due to its graphic content animal rights activists find the video and immediately set up a group so that they can find the kitten killer Overnight, the group massed 4,000 accounts, and today, the group has 30,000 members. It was set up by a man named Ryan Boyle. This is kind of the central piece on the, the Don't Fuck With Cats yeah. series on Netflix. There's two individuals that are kind of spearheading this group and immediately outraged, obviously, by what they've seen on YouTube. The video does stay up for more than 24 hours, it though. It is and it's, literally... I mean, that's yeah, as you said, this is where the, kind of the, the, the series starts on. I remember watching it with my wife, and she they couldn't bear watching it which I completely understand it's one of those interesting things isn't it with, with animals people like producer Dan was saying as well it's with animal cruelty it really affects humans just because they're such they're such innocent beings yeah. and you know they they trust you implicitly even uh, even animals that get abused still trust and want love and yeah it's such a difficult idea of it. I just can't you can't comprehend the idea of putting two little baby kittens into a bag and then just taking a life for clout which literally yeah. is is essentially why he's doing it it's so hard to watch and it's just yeah it's unfathomable as tom said this is where the don't fuck with cats series starts it literally starts with this this first instance mm. but what i was trying to think of is so when we left obviously to go into the timeline he'd been seeing various psychiatrists he'd been potentially hearing voices he'd had a series of quite erratic relationships become obsessed with his own i think it's the the clout like you say that's mm. kind of been the rise here he's well, obsessed he's been, with infamy he's had rejection and he's he fears rejection like he said to a psychiatrist he's been rejected from reality shows he's had a failing career an escort and a porn star he's then made these numerous group uh, numerous uh, accounts online to give himself praise and make his own fan club he's, he's the president of his own fan club and all the members of it it seems to be he wants fame he couldn't get fame so now he's gone for infamy instead and he's gone, what way can I piss off the internet or what can I do immediately? It's going to be shocking. And we know, like, one of the most, I guess it's probably the most, some of the most popular videos online are cute kitten videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, doing that and thinking, how can I cause an outrage? And it's not clear. There's, he doesn't show his face. As Ben said, there's some notable items in the room which people will go on to kind of dissect every every frame of the video to try and figure out where he's based. But yeah. It was a it's, it's a very shocking way to start a documentary, but it's it's it's, it's quite the escalation from seemingly a person struggling with their mental health to, to then doing this. An organisation called Rescue Inc, which is led by an individual called Joe Pans, they're basically like hell's angels, but wanting to look after animal rights. They initially place a five thousand dollar reward for the kitten killer's identity, and that is sort of what prompts so many people to join. I think them by them becoming involved, so many others eventually become involved in Le this group. Legit Legitimise the, uh, the act. January 2011, Luca becomes paranoid that the animal rights activists were closing in, as said by Romeo Salter. Romeo Salter is Luca's lawyer and he asks Romeo if there are any warrants out for his arrest, but there are none. 
The team of animal activists make up a new group with only 11 members in it. They call themselves the Animal Beta Project. They were on a mission to find Magnotta before he struck again. Their biggest fear was his next kill would be a human. As we've mentioned numerous times, a lot of times for cases have followed the pattern of someone's abusing animals. Sometimes it's for them working up to killing a human being. The group spends hours upon hours analysing the One Guy's Two Kittens video frame by frame. They make a note of anything of significance such as furniture and the killer's clothing. This is then compared to photos Magnotta posted online under his many profiles. So basically as the more outrage is, is developing on, on this One Guy Two Kittens video, more and more people are joining the group, more and more people are trying to sort of dissect this video and find out clues and hints as to who it it may be one kind of puppet account pops into the dms of one of the leading women on this group and basically just says the person you are looking for is luca magnotta there were loads of other people claiming to have been responsible for it and they send a link to luca magnotta's kind of modeling website so first of all people are kind of comparing the visuals there are a lot of other kind of troll accounts created to look like the person in this video with a long fringe but uh, immediately the group kind of collate their findings and start to kind of hone in on uh, Luca Magnotta. There's also someone claiming to be responsible for the One Guy Two Kittens video, a man named Edward Jordan, who had gone to claim he was it was him in the video. He also posted another video which claimed to be pouring a um, lighter fluid onto a cat, but you don't see anything afterwards. So people speculate whether it's just water being poured on the cat. And essentially people started berating him, um, sending threats to him, and he would actually go on to commit suicide as he'd been battling with depression. And yeah, he then took his life, which, yeah, I mean, it's problematic in itself. And obviously him claiming to be that person, I don't know why anyone would want to claim that they were doing those things online as well. But yeah, it's very much a very active group looking for who is responsible for this heinous act. The name Luca Magnotta is connected to the case by this um, account um, pointing in this direction. Then after that, the group start looking at all the different pictures and different profiles under the name, looking at all the photos of, of Magnotta online, trying to guess where he is in the world. As we mentioned before, there's lots of photos of him in different places and different yeah. bodies, and they're trying to collate all their findings and take the evidence to the police. Yeah, because initially as well, from the look and the, the kind of visuals of that first video, everyone was thinking kind of Eastern Europe, Russia, yeah. but they would later find out it was a lot closer to home than yes. that. So the following month, February 2011, the hard work of the Animal Beta Project does not stop. The group continued to collect information about Magnotta. Despite the team's best efforts to track Luca down using EXIF, which is exchangeable image file data, they struggled to identify his location. The team continued to use GPS tracking stamps to try to determine where Luca must be. Finally, the team have a breakthrough when they come across a photo taken in October of 2010. Using the GPS stamp from the photo, it is suggested that Magnotta is in fact in Toronto. They take the findings to the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and the case is then escalated and taken to the Toronto Police. A file is opened on Luca Magnotta, but ultimately nothing comes of it. The police did attempt to go to Luca's apartment, but when they arrived, they were told by a new tenant that Luca had moved to Russia. So that was the part that really impressed me. This image that they found was basically him on a balcony. Yeah. At a crossroads, and there were kind of similar shaped and styled buildings at each of these four crossroads, and they managed to literally somehow... Find yeah, it so from the uh, from the tag of the GPS and they're able to establish where in the world it was, and then yeah, looking from from using Google Maps and whatnot. Google Maps, they found the exact intersection, and which is yeah. I know some some podcasts I've listened to have criticised the documentary, kind of bigging them up to be oh they're so amazing what they do when some of it's quite straightforward. But there is there is elements of what they've there done. Are some big breakthroughs, yeah, and also just the amount of hours and you know, passion they put into it. There's a game geotagger, isn't there, where you get put into a random random oh, yeah. place and you have to guess where you are. 
They would be fantastic at that game, I think. <laughs> November 2011. Almost a year has gone by since the original Kitten Killen video. The team holds out the hope that Magnotta has stopped his slayings. However, when two new videos are posted, they know that this could not be further from the truth. The first one in these videos, this me, is the one that got me the, the worst. Is essentially is it's a kitten, it's duct taped to a broom handle over a bathtub of water, and then it's slowly lowered down into the water, which then the kitten would subsequently drown. It's horrific. Yeah, it's just, it, yeah. It's the, it's the fact that he kind of, first of all, all you see is the bathtub with the water, and you see a little bit of the kind of broom handle, and then slowly he sort of pans and reveals this kitten, and it's, it's as Tom said, it, it's, it's literally taped to this um, broom handle. It can't move whatsoever. Mm. Similar to your wife, when I saw this part, I was like, I don't think I can... I don't think I can watch this, but the kitten almost looks resigned yeah. to what's about to happen to it. Yeah, it's horrible. And then, yeah, and, and the final video is is essentially, it shows a man dressed in Santa's hat, putting a kitten on a bed where there's a python, and then it just kind of lets what you would imagine would play out. The python would then obviously go on to kill the kitten. A lot of people say that one's the, out of the three, the easiest to kind of deal with because it's animal and animal, it's not a human killing. The animal, but still, I mean, it's yeah. just still horrific in its own way. But yeah, it's it's very it's very disturbing. The, the thought of all these things, or the thought of someone just thinking up these ideas. I mean, I don't know what it does for the python afterwards either. To be honest, no, but, I was thinking that I couldn't see him keeping a python around for too long, but I also no. couldn't see him kind of tangling with one. The name of the python was Monty. The other thing that um, is worth mentioning is throughout it's this Monty python. The other thing that's worth mentioning is that throughout this time, he's actively aware that there's an online kind of community of people that are trying to chase him down. He's baiting them with comments. He's sending them other images and videos, one of which there's a video he sends to one of the group members of the initial two kittens from the vacuum bag in his freezer. And he's just kind of tampering with their, with their lifeless bodies. Although he's kind of living in fear of them apprehending him eventually he's still actively kind of baiting them and, and trolling them he threatens to deliver more videos and he goes ahead and delivers two more december 5th 2011 the sun newspaper a tabloid press company in the uk prints a story about magnotta named catch the sicko who fed a kitten to a python Two days later, without an invitation, Luca makes his way to the offices of the newspaper and confronts journalists, telling them that he had no involvement in the slaying of the kittens. Alex West, a journalist of the tabloid, secretly recorded the encounter with Magnotta. Clips of this can be found online, and we'll play some of this for you now. What is your, your name? What is my name? Yeah. That's an odd question. You know my name. Is that your real name? Because you, I know you, you've got other names as well. Eric, no other Eric names. Clinton Newman? But I have no other names. That's my legal name. Eric Clinton no. Newman is? No. That's not, not the name you were born with, Eric Clinton Newman. Luke Clinton Newman is my legal name. Right. I legally changed it. So where's Eric Clinton Newman? That was your original birth name, was it? I changed my name legally, and I, for years, my legal name on all my documents has been Luca Magnata. That's the only name that I go by. I go by no other name. Okay. I, and by the way, I showed him um, the man I spoke with in your office my passport, and he saw that that's my legal name. I, why would you you write about the the fact that um, you can pretend to be someone you're not on the internet? People frame me, so isn't that logical to try to defend myself? Think about that. But they're not. But, but that does make they're sense. Not, they're not. They're not pretending to be someone me. they're not. You're not answering. But they're not pretending to be someone they're not. not. Well, they're pretending to be me. People are pretending to be you. Isn't that obvious? 
December 7th, 2011, two days after the bizarre encounter with Luca, The Sun UK receives an email thought to have been from Luca Bagnotta. It is threatening in nature and tells the reader that next time you hear from me, it will be in a movie I'm producing that will have some humans in it, not just pussies. The Sun UK tell the UK police force about the concerns following the email. The police do not respond to the concerns as they make the decision that is not in their jurisdiction. Did the UK police make a big effort to then find where he was going and maybe tell the police of that jurisdiction? It seems like they're just going, ah, it's not our our thing, so we won't worry about it. The UK press seemed a lot more interested in him than the uh, the UK police did. Yeah. Beginning of 2012, despite police forces clearly not taking the case seriously, the Animal Beta Project do not stop their hunt for Luca Magnotta. Their hopes are rekindled after they receive a tip that leads them to theorise that Magnotta has moved to Montreal. The team continue to dive deep into the photos that Magnotta had posted, but this time with the lens of anything that could confirm his location in Montreal. Therefore, the group begins to look at unique features to get a rough whereabouts. One photo piques the group's interest when it has unique streetlights in the background. Using this information, the group begin to systematically use Google Street View to try and find the intersection where this picture could have been taken. The team finally discover the area where the picture was taken, and this confirms that he is either in or has been in the Montreal area. During this time, Magnotta's presence online has not diminished. He is more prevalent than ever and is now posting content surrounding necrophilia. Over May 15th and 16th of 2012, a promotional picture for a new video is beginning to be circulated around the internet. The picture for this new video shows a man in a purple hoodie holding what appears to be an ice pick in his hand. Comments online tell of people who have allegedly been trying to find the video for weeks. This video is called One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. May 24, 2012, Jun Lin, a Chinese student studying engineering and computer science at Concordia University, does not show up for a shift at work. This raises suspicion in his manager, who noted that this was highly unusual behaviour for Jun. Jun Lin was born on the 30th of December 1978 in Wuhan, China. He had always dreamt of studying abroad. When he achieved this dream, his parents could not be more proud of him. He had only moved into a new apartment at the beginning of May with his roommate. His mother in particular did not stop worrying about him whilst he was abroad. To calm his mother's nerves, every day Jun would send his mother a message. The last message he sent to his mother was on the evening prior to the 24th of May. This message contained a photo that he had taken, showcased on a local park. He had also texted his friends at 9pm. So Jun Lin, when he was living in China, he had a failed marriage. He was he was a gay man that was frowned upon over in China. Some people think he moved over to Canada, a bit more liberal thinking, and he was able to kind of go over here and live his life and be, live his true life as well. Despite his continuous presence online, Luca does not post for a few days. His last message was about being known as a killer. Jun Lin is seen on CCTV entering Luca Magnotta's apartment. He is not seen leaving. So Jenlin had, had um, responded to a Craigslist ad which Magnolia had posted asking basically for, for a hookup, for a consensual hookup involving S&M. So Jenlin had reportedly broken up with his partner a couple of weeks beforehand. Some people think he just kind of on the rebound a little bit. So he responded to this ad, got the details from Magnotta and he went over to his house for the two to, uh, to meet. Although a lot of this for Magnotta's side seems very thought out, this just seems like it could have been anyone yeah, who replied definitely. to the ad and responded and went to his house. It wasn't a case of he had picked Jun Lin out or he's you know he'd been stalking him or anything like that. He literally posted an ad, someone responded to the ad, and that was all he needed. May 25th, 2012. On this day, a truly horrific video is posted online to bestgore.com. The video is titled One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. It shows a man who is tied up in bed being stabbed with an ice pick 
The man is alive at the start of the video, but it becomes clear that as the 11-minute video progresses, he has drawn his last breaths. After the man has been stabbed close to a hundred times, the murderer then dismembers the body with a knife. He also sort of fillets part of the leg um, and cuts chunks, significant chunks, from the body with a knife and fork. As well as this, the individual attempts to have intercourse with the dismembered body at various points and also then it results in decapitating the body. During this time as well, it's important to note you can hear kind of a, a dog barking in the background. The room is a lot darker lit compared to the cat videos. And at one point later in the video, although it's an 11 minute video, uh, a dog can later be seen chewing the body's flesh. It has been alleged that the man that dismembered the body has also engaged in, in cannibalism and eating the body, but that's still kind of disputed to date. Yeah, he also, it was, I mean, he was just so disrespectful to the body in the sense that he, he took a dismembered arm and masturbated himself with the arm. He then was shoving a bottle inside the torso of the body when it was just literally a torso and also having sex with it. As we said, in terms of escalation, going from killing cats, which obviously is disgusting, this is an escalation to like the 10th degree. And yeah, um, in the background, you can hear the new order song, True Faith, can be heard. As a reference, uh, there's a there's a Casablanca. It's quite an abstract sort of Casablanca poster, poster, isn't it? Yeah, poster in the background, which is believed, and we'll, I'm sure we'll go into a bit more detail later on, but the pickaxe is actually just a, it's a painted um, screwdriver. The poster on the or poster on the wall is apparently meant to be look like a stained glass window on, on, on the wall. And the pickaxe is a, is, a, is a reference to the film Basic Instinct, which Sharon Stone's in. And it, when she was stabbing someone with a pickaxe in that film, there's a stained glass window in the background. So it's all linked she's, to films. Yeah. And, and He's yeah. thought about it. He's kind of visualised it before it's happened. Yeah. I mean, the only like saving grace of this is the fact that Jin Lin was, um, it was found in his body that he'd been drugged as well in his wine that he was drinking. So he, he wasn't completely conscious. Well, hopefully he wasn't completely conscious when it happened. It was quite, he had taken quite a lot of this drug, which hopefully, if you know if we can take anything from it, hoping that he maybe wasn't completely aware of what was going on at the time. Yeah. The, at the start of the videos, similarly to the cat ones, he's very gentle. He's he's stroking the head of... of before he's even began to start stabbing, he's stroking the head. He's mm. very delicately touching Jun Lin before the violence obviously uh, begins. A janitor from the apartment complex that Luca Magnotta was living in at the same time sees a suitcase outside in the rubbish. He does not see the suitcase as suspicious and therefore it is not reported. There is a lot of very infamous kind of CCTV footage of the building that Magnotta was living in. First of all, you can see Jun Lin and Magnotta arrive very kind of friendly holding the door open for one another as they enter into mm. the into the complex but then kind of five six hours passes you start to see magnotta make his way down to the basement bins multiple times multiple times and he's just he's so calm so yeah. composed just there you go bin see you later it's yeah it's it's horrific and then obviously this janitor has seen a suitcase appear in the rubbish but again doesn't view it as suspicious and so doesn't escalate it May 26th, 2012. The video is making its way around the internet, but thankfully is quickly taken down due to its content. The video is reported to the local authorities. They are faced with the task of determining whether this is an internet hoax or a real murder. Unfortunately, a lot of children did see the video before it was taken down. Police were notified of the video multiple times, although they initially thought the video may have been fake. Therefore, it was dismissed as nothing more than an internet prank. Luca Bagnotta then travelled from Montreal to Paris using his own name and passport. So there is also reports allegedly, some conflicting reports from different events where you read it, that um, Luca Bagnotta would go on to actually eat Jenlin after he killed him. And that's another reason why the police believed it was fake, because the 
just didn't believe this kind of thing would be happening in Montreal. But yeah, it's, it's, as I said, it's just such an escalation. On May the 29th, 2012, Jun Lim was officially reported as missing by friends and family. Friends were concerned after he had not arrived for his shift at work and they also had not heard from him. So he was very punctual, very much if he was ever going to go somewhere different to what his friends or family believed, he would always message them just to, to let them know, you know, my my plans have changed. He also had a pet cat that he absolutely worshipped yeah. and would never leave the cat for extensive periods of time. And yeah, people had not heard from him and his family back home obviously were very much in touch with him. Yeah. And for him to go quiet, you know, for more than 24 hours was very, very out of the ordinary for them. Friends go to visit his flat to find that Jun is not there. They even try to contact his mother, knowing that Jun would not go a day without speaking to her. His mother said that this is when they knew immediately that something was wrong. At 10.50am, the janitor, named Mike Nadeau, who had previously dismissed the suitcase as unsuspicious, is now watching maggots crawling around the area. Oh, either. That's fucking horrible. <laughs> that's, that's not so quick, it's horrible. That's, that's laughing. No affinity. Yeah, he's loving it. Yeah, I bet he is. As the janitor gets closer to the suitcase, he begins to smell a distinct smell. Oh, either. <laughs> so quick. As the janitor gets closer to the suitcase, he begins to smell a very distinct smell, and that is the smell of rotting flesh. Immediately, he calls the police, and upon their arrival, the police find the torso of Jun Lin. Initially, the police thought that the torso was that of Luca Magnotta. This is because there was documentation surrounding the body part belonging to Luca. Yet this all changed when the police gained entry into Luca's apartment at 11.32am. Inside apartment 208, the police found that it was mostly bare and it was clear that it had been recently deep cleaned. It smelt very strongly of disinfectant. After speaking to neighbours, there were no complaints about Luca. They admitted that they rarely saw him and had not seen him recently. His landlord even told police that he had paid his rent up until June. Luca had not been at the apartment long as it was revealed he had moved in four months prior to the murder. So I, I was kind of expecting them to find like a sort of Jeffrey Dahmer type apartment, messy, smelly, lots of kind of incriminating evidence, but yeah. it's kind of the polar opposite here. When examining the apartment with a black light, forensic testing found that blood spatters were all over the walls. In the closet, there was an odd message. It read, If you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror. I don't care. The message had been scrawled in red ink. After finding just the torso of Jun Lin, body parts began to emerge in parcels. The left foot of Jun Lin is found in a blood-soaked cardboard box after it makes its way to the Conservative Party of Canada. At 11am, the secretary opens the parcel and is taken aback. Hmm. No, it's a foot. <laughs> At 11am, the secretary opens the parcel and is very shocked when she finds the foot, as well as a red heart and a note reading, Roses are red, violets are blue, they will need dental records to identify you, bitch. The note also tells the reader that four more body parts are on their way in the mail. A parcel is also destined for the Liberal Party. However, this package does not reach its intended destination after postal workers intercept it after they reported that a strange smell was emitting from the package. Workers opened the parcel to find the left hand of Jun Lin. 
When all these packages start to arrive at various destinations, it makes major news. And Magnotta would have been very happy of the fact that this was also escalated to the point that Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, basically bombarded by uh, journalists trying to ask, you know, have you received a package? Has anything, you know, reached you? And he was pressed to comment on not necessarily Luca Magnotta, but the case itself. May 30th, 2012, the Toronto police formally announced that Luca Magnotta is their main suspect in the murder and dismemberment of the body after obtaining CCTV footage which showed Magnotta posting the packages at a post office. By this time, the police had also obtained CCTV footage which showed that Luca Magnotta was removing the remains of John Lynn from his apartment from 2.47am to 4.02am. May 31st, 2012, a red notice is issued by Interpol for the arrest of Luca Magnotta. Luca uses this time to travel via bus from Paris to Berlin. His face and name was posted on the Interpol website. The police make it known that they suspect Magnotta is within Europe, particularly France. June the 1st, 2012, police can now confirm that the victim is in fact student Jun Lin. Police theorise that the two had had some sort of relationship. Magnotta goes on to make contact with his sister. He emails her asking... How does it feel to be the sister of a murderer? Which is, I can't imagine that was received very well. But what a thing to say to your younger sister. Weirdly, I can imagine him doing it to Conrad, who used to bully him and give him shit, but yeah. he got on quite well He's with his sister very as well. fond of his sister, yeah. So, so, I mean... Who else has he got to talk to? Uh, fought in another profile. Well, yeah. But, saying um, the same shit, Luca. <laughs> it work. Why would he be saying the same shit? It wouldn't all be called Luca either. No. I hope that'd be really bad, wouldn't it? It'd be terrible. I mean, we'll go on to speak about how the lawyers want him to plead. Well, before he's even been caught, obviously they've confirmed that he is their main suspect, but he's not been charged, he's not been arrested. He's now incriminated himself very much with that email. True. If he's looking for a legal loophole later down the line, he may now struggle. I mean, but I think that he must have left his papers around the body because he wants the infamy. Because you wouldn't just leave... I'll just throw away my bank statements around the body that was killed. It's, mm. it's a body of evidence. It is, indeed. June the 2nd, 2012. Magnotta is issued with a further charge pending his arrest. As a consequence of mailing one of Jun Lin's body parts to the Prime Minister, police confirm that he will now also be charged with this offence once he has been arrested. June the 3rd, 2012. Police confirm that they are aware of a sighting of Magnotta within France over the course of the weekend. They warn the public that he most likely is still on the move. The images that they're circulating via Interpol and various kind of international news outlets are all of his modelling photos as well, mm. which I can't tell if that would be, you know, more than your traditional kind of your killers on the loose, kind of a scary, like, a gruff-looking guy. You know, you know, he's scary covered nearly kinda. 70 cases. And you talk, you talk like, scary, kind of like gruff looking geezer, like a mum talking about it. But uh, do you know what I mean, though? His image wouldn't it's kind of strike fear into my heart quite so much as, mind you, a lot of the ones we've covered so far. I've not Albert Fish, I keep thinking about Albert Fish, strike lead in your pencil, probably <laughs> Robert Picton. That would scare me. His mugshot being, you know, watch out, he's about that. You know, Luca Magnotta being about, I should be all right. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of, yeah. In a, in a way, yeah. I know yeah. what you're trying to say. Yeah. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Uh, but as well, the the modelling photos looked like you know when people had a friend who had a camera who didn't really know how to use it. A lot of that kind of photos, band photo shoots, early band photo shoots. Yeah. Yeah. It was never like legit modelling. Got he only got paid for like half of the ones he did as well. So it was all kind of like sort of smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. During Luca's days in France, the police could track a cell phone to a hotel room in Paris. By the time police arrive at the hotel, Luca has fled. 
So again, another thing that he did whilst kind of doing the cat videos is that he was baiting people that had commented on the videos with other pictures, other links. And what, on this profile that he was baiting people with, he uploaded the trailer to Catch Me If You Can. He also, one of the women that were kind of le leading this campaign against him online, she worked in a Las Vegas hotel, I think it was the Rio, and he sent her a link of a video of someone walking around the Rio kind of casino ground floor, mm. just filming their walk, which is, that would scare me, whatever you look like, that would, that would scare me. Yeah, because Luca actually had infiltrated the group and seen all these people going against him, looking for him, hunting him, which, you know, he very much would get off on and he would use what they're looking at to kind of, yeah, know how to press their buttons, essentially. He would later go on to say that it didn't affect him in any way and he was just doing what he was doing. It didn't have anything to do with him whatsoever, but they were his main audience, his main, like, he was the nemesis to them. So yeah. I think he got a lot of kicks from doing that. So yeah, they arrive in the hotel room and just like Catch Me If You Can, Luca was already long gone. The police knew that Luca had connections in France after a visit in 2010. One man admitted that Luca stayed in his house, but he did not know who his guest was at the time of his stay. That's been speculated on quite a lot because I think they probably did hook up and etc. But the guys kind of distanced himself from it a little bit. So he slept on the sofa. But yeah. On the 4th of June 2012, Luca is arrested at an internet cafe by local authorities in Germany. The owner of the internet cafe said that he knew it was Magnotta as soon as he walked in. But because of Luca's calm nature, he began to question whether it really was him. When Luca was arrested by the police, he initially denied his identity and gave the police various false names. We just give one name. If you're going for a false one, just give the one. Him 49. And I was going to jump in, but it wasn't right. But the, the guy that was like, oh, no, he stayed on the sofa, you know, and he was a bit, it's not my type. Got 49 friend requests on Facebook the next day. No, it's not, not as good. Everyone was. But it's enough to put you off, isn't it? 49 friend requests. He's taken to a Berlin police cell before being extradited back to Canada. Fingerprints confirm Luca's identity. Yeah, a bit more to unpack there with that is it's been alleged, he denies it, that he was searching his own images and searching the news reports around him when he has been arrested, which, you know, as we kind of mentioned at the beginning, I think that's a very fall from grace, thinking you're the big evil mastermind to be found Googling yourself. It's very pathetic. Flying back to Canada, he actually none of the carriers wanted to fly with him or have him linked to their, their brand at all. So they, they had to actually get a military plane to come and fly and pick him up, which costs six. That or sixty to seventy-five thousand dollars wow. in order to collect him. But yes, he is now being captured. As well as googling his own name, he was reading various, just everything that had his name attached to it. He was clicking, reading the article, reading the article, reading the article. He was very, very self-obsessed. Just <laughs> expanded um, on the same point. Yeah. yeah, but it was said. His, I can't remember more. Click, sorry, uh, he also clicked links. <laughs> June fifth, two thousand and twelve. The police announced that they are looking at Luca Magnotta's potential involvement in the murder of Hervey Medlin. Would have got away with it too if it weren't. <laughs> the police announced that they are looking at Luca Magnotta's potential involvement in the murder of Hervey Medlin. The police find substantial links between the nature of both the murders of Jun Lin and Hervey Medlin. Hervey Medlin was a gay man who was dismembered with his head, hands and feet being found under the historic Hollywood sign. A few days uh, later, they would quickly, you know, disregard this as he was uh, evidenced to have been in Miami at the time of this murder. Two schools received packages containing the hand and foot of Jun Lin. His right foot was sent to St. George's School in Montreal and False Creek Elementary School in Vancouver received his right hand. Just like the previous package, there are notes within these ones. However, the contents of these notes have not been revealed due to fear of copycats. Back at the police station, Magnotta does not fight his extradition to Canada. 
June 6th, 2012, a vigil is held by John Lin's family who flew over to Canada from China. June 18th, 2012, Luca is flown back to Canada on a Royal Canadian Air Force plane. As I mentioned earlier, that the other, the other airlines didn't want to have their name attached to him. The police attempted to minimise media coverage of Luca's arrival in Canada. June 19th, 2012, the next day, Luca appears in court via video. Here, he pleads not guilty to all charges against him, and two days later, he appears in person, in court to ask for a jury trial. He is told at this appearance in court that he will have a trial in March 2013. On the 1st of July 2012, a decapitated head is found in Angringham Park after someone gives the police a tip. Police have not revealed where this tip came from, and three days later, the head is confirmed to be that of Jun Lin's. Yes, that's nearly four weeks after the initial killing. Absolutely horrific, obviously. Unfortunately, a horrific element of this case is that quite a few of Jun Lin's friends and family had viewed the online video and and many of them had commented that due to certain portions of the video showing the individual's head that that, that was Jun Lin. Which you can't imagine. It's horrific, isn't it? Yeah. Lining that up with the fact that he hadn't been responding to calls and, and messages. Other body parts had been found that kind of all matched together yeah four weeks have gone by and now they've finally found the head so that was the timeline of the luca magnotta case we're now going to move on to some aftermath so john lynn was cremated on the 11th of july 2012 shortly after the 26th of july these ashes were buried at a cemetery in montreal on the 11th of march 2012 the preliminary hearings begins luca's lawyer asked for the media and the public to be denied entry to the courtroom his request was denied john family listened as the evidence is presented to the court Jenlin's father is seen crying as he grieves the loss of his son on March 12, 2013, after hearing some of the explicit details of his son's murder. Jenlin's father had gone to say some very poignant things during the trial, which we'll get on to a little bit later on. On the 19th of March, 2013, Luca collapsed after being made to witness the horrors he inflicted on Jenlin, which I just can imagine he's just been very dramatic about. The preliminary hearings continue with more evidence being presented and on the 12th of April, Luca is made to stand trial on the charges of first-degree murder, offering indignities to a human body, distributing obscene materials, using the postal service to distribute obscene materials and criminal harassment. He is told that his trial will be in September of 2014. So those are some charges. Obviously, we've, we've never covered anything similar before in any of the other cases. On the 30th of September 2014, the trial begins. The jury is told to judge not whether Luca Magnotta committed these horrific acts to Jun Lin, but whether they were done under a sane mind. It was a 10-week ordeal for the jury and Jun Lin's family. So yeah, Jun Lin's father would actually go on to thank um, Luca's dad who had made the journey there. Who He was, at the time in the facility because he was struggling with his mental health. It just goes to show how gracious um, uh, Jean Lin's father was. He thanked him for travelling all the way there and giving the character witness. And yeah, Jean Lin's father, as as I said, we'll mention a few of the quotes from him a little bit later, but you see how devastated he is losing his son. During the trial, the defence suggested that Luca was experiencing poor mental health whilst he committed the murder. The defence used Luca's schizophrenia as the main argument. They argued that Jun Lin responded to the ad posted by Magnotta with a mutual agreement of sex. Jun Lin asked to participate in bondage, but when Luca saw a car outside his apartment, he had a psychotic breakdown after drinking alcohol and taking anxiety medication. So on that then, when he's claiming that he had an anxiety attack after seeing a car, it was Luca just not expecting him to turn up? Yeah, so he's basically probably saying he didn't expect anyone to even acknowledge his ad or turn up. It just seems very loose. I mean, they, they obviously the lawyers are just doing anything they can. 
The prosecution presented evidence to show that this killing was a premeditated callous murder. The email sent to the Sun paper and the CCTV footage are shown to the courtroom to show how Luca received pleasure from the murder. Furthermore, Jenlin's ex-boyfriend takes a stand and tells the jury that Jun was not into kinky sex, nor did he drink or take drugs of any kind. The jury is shown the whole 11-minute video. They see Jenlin stabbed with what looks like an ice pick and it is later revealed to be a painted screwdriver. They see how Jun is dismembered and then fed to a dog before Luca Magnotta then goes on to kill the dog. They are also told how the police received an edited version of this video. The video they received was two videos clipped together. A shocking revelation is made in the courtroom when the jury learns that this is not the first man Luca Magnotta kidnapped. Six days before the murder, an unidentified man was kidnapped and tied up at the hands of Luca Magnotta. This man managed to walk away from apartment 208. This kidnapping was seen in the first part of the edited video that was seen by police. Luca was subjected to psychological testing to determine his mental state, and psychologists determined that Luca was suffering from psychosis whilst he murdered Jun Lin. At this point, the courtroom hears of a man named Manny Lopez. Luca tells the psychologist, Dr. Watts, that Manny Lopez called him and told him that he must perform sexual acts with Jun Lin, who was a government official. This created voices in Luca's head when Manny Lopez told him that he must also murder Jun Lin and he could not think of anything else. The interesting thing about the Manny Lopez thing is Luca actually spoke to his lawyer a long time before this murder took place about Manny Lopez, saying that Manny was threatening him, threatening his life and asking him to do horrible acts. And with the animal cruelty videos and killing, killing animals, that was all done to, for Manny to sell it on to other people. He was basically performing snuff videos for Manny and other things as well. So this claim of Manny Lopez is not something he just created at the, at the courtroom this time. It's something that has been present in Luca saying about this for a, for a very, very long time indeed. And they weren't sure whether to share it or not in the courtroom. We'll go on to a, a bit more, but um, in terms of yeah, the actual the evidence of Manny Lopez's existence is one of the biggest pitfalls here. Luca told the courts that the two had met when Luca was an escort, but there is no real evidence of this man existing. It is thought that this man had been inspired by a character from the film Basic Instinct, which is also thought to have been inspired over events within the murder of Jun Lin. There's a character called Manny, it's not, Lu- it's not Lopez, but it's, it's similar in the film Basic Instinct. He tells another psychologist of the voices he heard in his head when killing Jun Lin. Luca tells the psychologist that after he cut Jun Lin's throat, the voices told him to give it back. To silence the voices, he followed their orders and mailed John Lin's body parts in an attempt to return him. He also detailed how he edited the infamous video to scare the voices away. The psychologist confirms the schizophrenia diagnosis and determines that Luca is unfit mental state when he killed John Lin. We know with lots of cases before and previously that people go for the insanity plea as kind of last like as a last resort. But as we mentioned throughout this whole case and throughout the timeline, and as well with um, Luca's father suffering with schizophrenia. That is, you know, it's quite believable here that he was suffering at the time um, with poor mental health. Yeah, and that that diagnosis as well as everything else he's had over the over the years: bipolar, schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia, uh, chronic depression, personality disorder. There's so many factors jumping in here, and then the fact that his dad has also claimed that he was hearing voices and believed that the Luca was also hearing them too. It's 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 really bizarre, and the argument that he had a, an anxiety attack when he saw a car. Jun Lin's car outside the building as well trying to say look I panicked and this is what happened his, his, his excuses seem to change yeah. all the time throughout this trial but then the idea that the voices were saying you need to you, you've killed him now you need to give him back so in an attempt to put him back together he posted his body parts all across the country yeah so again but that would that would kind of line up with maybe the, the schizophrenic 
diagnosis, I'm not sure. The prosecution and the defence argue meticulously throughout this case. The prosecution asked why Luca had cleaned the bedsheets, disposed of the pillows and purchased paint after the murder. They believed it was because he was disposing of the evidence. The defence argued that this was because Luca still thought that the government officials were trying to find him. The prosecution then questioned why had Luca worn Junlin's shirt. They claimed he wore it as a trophy to show off his kill. The defence said this would confirm to government agents that Jun had been murdered. Allegedly, Luca would act differently depending on whether there was a jury in the courtroom or not. Some days the jury would not be present and when they were absent, Luca would sit up attentively. When they were in the room, he would be hunched over and avoid eye contact altogether. The prosecution did make note of this within the courtroom, but ultimately this claim was dismissed. On the 4th of December 2014, all the evidence has been presented. It was now up to the jury to decide if Luca Bagnotta was of sane mind whilst he murdered Jen Lin. They deliberated for eight days. On the 23rd of December 2014, Luca was found guilty of first-degree murder, criminally harassing Prime Minister Stephen Harper and other members of Parliament, mailing obscene and indecent immaterial, committing an indignity to a body and publishing obscene materials. He was sentenced to 25 years to life imprisonment, which a lot of people said, and I agree, 25 years is not enough no. for that. I can't see him ever getting out. Luca Magnotta was not the only person to be pressed with charges in this case. In June of 2013, the owner of bestgore.com, Mark Merrick, was charged with corrupting morals. On the 19th of January 2015, Luca started to appeal his sentence and asked for a retrial. Ultimately, Luca's appeal was denied. Yeah, I mean, he said that his lawyers holding that as the best way of admitting the murders, but claiming that he was suffering from psychosis at the time. And then he later on would say, oh, I didn't commit the murders. He's very adamant he doesn't. I mean, I'm sure whoever's watched the documentary of Don't Fuck With Cats, you see his mother, who doesn't believe that he was guilty as well. Yeah. It's been said that none, there was no evidence, no DNA evidence on the body of Jean-Lin from Luca himself. And all the acts which he's done, it's, it's very surprising to hear that. They can't 100% concrete say it was him, mm. but obviously all the evidence surrounding it and all the other things obviously point to it being him. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean there's evidence of him taking the bags out, but yeah. in terms of the actual killing. And in one of the early videos, there was another pair of hands seen, wasn't there, in the videos, yeah. which yeah. no one ever seems to really explore. Some people speculated, is that Manny Lopez? But yeah. On June 26, 2017, Luca Magnotta marries a man named Anthony Jolin. The two met after Luca signed up for an inmate dating service named Canadian Inmates Connect. He noted that he wanted someone financially and emotionally stable, as well as a white man with a good physique. The only person who witnessed the marriage was Luca's mother. So, uh, it's a weird thing that yeah. financially stable. I mean, he, needs be, he needs to be financially stable <laughs> and good physique. In 2039, Luca will be eligible for parole. Not that far away. I'm sure that he will never get parole, but yeah. stranger things have happened. Definitely, definitely. Another little bit of aftermath as well. So the mother kind of, she's bugged me throughout this case and, and she's, I just feel like she's very, she behaves very strangely in the Don't Fuck With Cats documentary as well. But what really, really, really irritated me when doing the research for this episode is she actually went on to write a book. This is Anna Yorkin and the book is called My Son the Killer the untold story of Luca Magnotta and one lunatic, one ice pick. So she's gone for quite a kind of clickbaity title. Mm. The front cover as well is very, very kind of, it's like done as like an abstract piece of art. It's very colourful. If you Google a book, it gives you a chance, I think via Amazon or Kindle or something to kind of preview the first like five, six pages. So I was like, oh, I'll have a little look. And the first page is a note from Anna Yorkin. 
Before I begin to tell my family's story, I want to address the fact that I have never publicly expressed my condolences to the Lin family. I would like to take this opportunity to do so now. My entire family expresses our deepest condolences to your family for the loss of your son, Jun Lin. Anna Yorkin. So I'm going to write a book, make hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'll probably send my condolences at the start of the book, just so you've got them. Yeah. It really rattled me. I mean, and she's bizarre in that documentary. As I well. mean, yeah, as, as I mentioned as well, if you c- compare her to the grace of Jenlin's father, yep. Duran Lin, who he would go on to write, it causes me fresh pain to know that my son's legacy is to be remembered as the victim. He not only suffered in this murder, but will be humiliated each time his name is mentioned. It hurts me deeply and will hurt me forever. Yeah, I mean, he sat, what was it, four months? of trial that he had to sit through graphic details of what happened to his son there, there is a very interesting interview with him speaking uh, to various uh, news outlets we'll, we'll play some 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 of that for you now uh, i told them uh, he got the highest penalty and i'm very happy about this losing some means lose everything to me some warm t- warm-hearted people uh, just hug me and want to comfort me. When asked if he could ever forgive his son's killer, Dijon Lin says no, but he still hopes one day to meet Magnata. But I just want to ask him why he did this. But he also said Luca Magnotta is worse than a beast, which he very much is on the money there. Also, the the One Lunatic, One Ice Pick video opens to the song True Faith by the band New Order. And that song also plays at the opening of the movie American Psycho. People investigating him online feel was more than just a coincidence. Yeah. But yeah, that was the... Uh, the case of Luca Magnotta. And now it's time we're going to go quickly into some of the lookalikes. What does it look like? That looks a little bit like that. Okay, it looks a bit like it. I have two. One I think is good. One I think is... It's not a person I'm trying to think of. Okay. Uh, let me just count. Oh, God. Four. All right, you rally a couple of them, mate. I feel like he could have just been in any of the Zoolander movies. Again, it's not... It looks it's, like look, it's just a comment. Just, just a comment. It's a little comment, yeah. comment yeah. Keep yeah. Them to look or heard, you know, in Zoolander, you wouldn't have noticed. Because he literally tried to be a model. And he speaks like Zoolander a little bit. I didn't even think of the model thing, but yeah, thank you very much. So, the first one then, um, also connect... think of it? A... He does. So the first one I've got Dear then. Me. So the first one I've got then. Also Canadian, just just a coincidence. Band I quite like actually. We, we we both quite like them. Mariana's trench singer, Josh Ramsey, and I've gone for the sort of more emo looking uh, Magnotta. It's mainly mainly hair. No, that's not that bad. You've done worse. Thank you. Are you another one? Do you want to do another one? I'll sort of sandwich your two between my four. Yeah. So next one. In terms of appearance and um, tonality, this hit me like halfway through the research. Elliot Roger and online pre- behaviour. I feel like those two would have... Ugh, to be a fly on a wall while those two were talking. They're very different people, though. I don't think he's, of... he's incel, is he? Um, a little bit. Not as much as Elliot at all, but they're both egomaniacs and they're both... I don't know. I kind of get similar vibes. And they both talk... Like they're aliens. So, okay. So there's two for you. Mine from this photo. Yeah. And kind of this photo. I think it's going to be the one of mine. Oh, I was not expecting that. Carl Pilkington a bit. 
Look, so, uh, so this photo. Oh, yeah. And this photo. There's a little bit of Carl. There's something. Oh, yeah. oh, the eyebrows. I'll do a little for people people watching. I'll do a little dissolve because I do think there's something in it. Yeah. A little dissolvey one there. Fair enough. Bruce Willis from The Fifth Element is blonde Luca Magnotta. That's a bad one for you. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Thanks, Dan. My, this is my bad one. I don't think it's very good. I think. This one here when he's got the hair transplant. Yeah. It's a bit like Reese James. <laughs> Which is a terrible shout. Or Not maybe, the football, Maybe Ed Gamble as well, the other comedian. Looks, looks cross between those two. Yeah. Shall I close it on my favourite one? Yep. So just being sort of brought back to Canada, uh, Magnotta, looks like... Uh, sorry, I'm going to say... Yeah, sorry, Ed Gamble. I'm going for that one. Yeah, that's solid. That's better than... That's solid. All right, my final one. So just uh, you know, brought back off off the off the off the military plane into to Canada, Magnotta, Sheldon, Big Bang Theory. I'm pretty happy with this. Nah. What? That's not, that's not your best one. It's the same lot. face. He's it's looking down. You can't see his eyes. Exactly. It's the sort of. That's identical. What are you on about? I mean, same body type. Well, I didn't mention that, but yeah, thanks for a lot. <laughs> Any straw he can grasp. They, are you kidding me? They've got the same face. Nah, like, I'm making bigger not, for you. That's not your best one. Uh, I think the comments section will back me. We're not we're saying the other ones are better. I can't see it better. Uh, are you serious? Dan usually backs you as well. He does usually back me. Yeah. I made him a bit bigger for you. Surely. He's literally someone looking down. That's You You hey. say a lookalike. If someone looks left, you're like, they look exactly the same as that person yeah. looking left. I've got it on my iPad. I made it bigger for you. Yeah, that's lookalike as well. Let Ben know if you think the... The big band ones the best one there the other one the second one or the first one was better but there you go um, that is the case of Luca Bagnotta we hope you guys found it as interesting as we did we'll have another big episode coming next week if you just can't wait until then why not follow us on all the socials at Could Murder a Pod Instagram Twitter Facebook TikTok uh, Reddit Reddit we have a Reddit a subreddit and we also have a brand new home icmap.co.uk basically cheaper and easier and more exciting and way more perks and benefits than patreon it's got a hundred exclusive episodes hosted over there and a whole host of goodies we're also launching our new kind of not true crime side podcast yeah which is it needs to be named it's yet to be named it's yet to be named hit us up with some names in the comments section but we're going to be talking about like stranded on a desert island zombie apocalypse what we do on the purge yeah, we'll be thinking of, we'll be thinking of ideas and we're we'll letting, we'll letting the people also suggest ideas as well yeah. for us to discuss. Yeah. But um, as well, over on that page, you can get access to exclusive merch of the Cult of Big Map merch. So yeah, be sure to check it out. Dan's just showing a mug off there. But yeah, thank you Lovely so much mug. to anyone who is listening and new listeners or old listeners. Thank you so much. And if you are listening, why don't you give us a rating and a little review? It, will, it helps more than you'll ever know. And if you're watching on YouTube, if you could give us a little subscribe, mm. a little sub, and hit the notification bell as well. It will help you know when we're posting new content. We know a lot of uh, the audio listeners join us via Spotify, but if you are an Apple Podcasts person, please leave us a review because we're, we're hoping to knock that up closer to the five star mark because we're doing really well on Spotify. But but we'd, we'd love to we'd love to get to five stars on Apple. So if you could leave us a, a favourable review, that would be fantastic. And guys, like we always say, we say this all the time. Keep doing what you're doing, unless it's. And your eyebrow, eyebrow bones shaved. Oh, yeah. Well, we can do it if you want to do what it. Part, where does the eyebrow bone start and end? Is it all your skull? Or is there bone? Is it all your skull? Is your eyebrow bones? But you don't have bones in the eyebrows, do you? It's not skull. The eye, your eyebrow <laughs> hair? Yeah. yeah. Underneath that, what is it? Skull. Skull. 
Well, what's a skull made out of, Ben? Bone. There you go. All right, guys, thank you so much. See you later. Stupid. <laughs> skull. It's a skull. Violence movies and sex on TV. Beware of those good old-fashioned values. On which we used to rely. Surely he's a family guy. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.